0: You're listening to a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. We hope you'll find it to be spiritually edifying. Let us open Holy Scripture and read from God's Word, again from the New Testament, from the Gospel according to Mark, chapter 15. We read from verse 1 through verse 26. Very early in the morning, the chief priests with the elders, the teachers of the law, and the whole Sanhedrin reached a decision. They bound Jesus, led him away, and handed him over to Pilate. Are you the king of the Jews? asked Pilate. Yes, it is as you say, Jesus replied. The chief priests accused him of many things. So again, Pilate asked him, Aren't you going to answer? See how many things they are accusing you of. But Jesus still made no reply, and Pilate was amazed. Now it was the custom at the feast to release a prisoner whom the people requested. A man called Barabbas was in prison with the insurrectionists who had committed murder in the uprising the crowd came up and asked Pilate to do for them what he usually did. Do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? asked Pilate, knowing it was out of envy that the chief priests had handed Jesus over to him. But the chief priests stirred up the crowd to have Pilate release Barabbas instead. What shall I do then with the one you call the king of the Jews? Pilate asked them. Crucify him, they shouted. Why, what crime has he committed, asked Pilate. But they shouted all the more, crucify him. Wanting to satisfy the crowd, Pilate released Barabbas to them. He had Jesus flogged and handed him over to be crucified. The soldiers led Jesus away into the palace, that is the praetorium, and called together the whole company of soldiers. It was the third hour when they crucified him. The written notice of the charge against him read, The King of the Jews. The text for the sermon is from the scripture reading from Mark chapter 15 and the verses 6 through 15. We have read those verses already, so we will not read them again. Congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, whenever we come to these portions of scripture, the ones which have to do with the suffering of our Lord, His passion. There are two questions we can ask as we read these things about Him, our Savior. The first question we can ask is, what's going on? What's going on? And the second question we can ask is, what's really going on? There are, there are the things that we can see happening, that we can hear are happening, and then there are also the deeper things that are happening in the things that are happening. And sometimes in the gospel narrative, the Holy Spirit deliberately reminds us to think in these terms. Sometimes, not so much in the gospel according to Mark, perhaps more in the gospel according to John, we can read something to the effect that This was to fulfill the Scripture, and then a Scripture text follows a quotation from the Old Testament. We can see one instance of this in in the Gospel according to Mark in chapter 15 in verse 28. Verse 28 is in the footnote of the NIV. It's just after where we left off with the Scripture reading. We read to verse twenty-six and then verse twenty-seven. They crucified two robbers with Jesus, one on his right, one on his left. So that's what that's what they were doing. They crucified the Lord Jesus. And then we read in verse 28, which is a footnote. And the scripture was fulfilled, which says, And he was numbered with the transgressors. So there we, there we read in Scripture itself that we, we should realize there's more there than meets the eye. It, it's not just about what people are doing to the Lord Jesus. It's about what God is doing in and through these people to fulfill the Scriptures for our salvation. God fulfills the Scriptures through and in spite of sinful people doing wicked things to and with His Son. Those people who are accusing and attacking and finally killing Jesus, they aren't thinking to be fulfilling the Scriptures, but that's exactly what they are doing by God's design, according to His purpose. There is a beautiful text in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 4, beautiful text that we could generally keep in mind in connection with all of this. Acts chapter 4, the church in Jerusalem, after quoting Psalm 2, why do the nations rage and the peoples devise vain things? Church in Jerusalem says, "...for truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus." They are praying this to God. There were gathered together against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel. So all these people banded together against Jesus to do whatever your hand and your purpose predestined to occur. So those people all were doing their thing while God was right there doing His thing all the time. And this is this is a comforting truth for God's people, for us also, all the time. It was a comfort for the believers in the church of Jerusalem, Acts chapter 4. They were also being persecuted by the authorities, just like Jesus was. But, but they knew in their persecution, God is not absent. God is not absent from this. And that text in Acts chapter 4 is one that we can really be blessed with whenever the difficult matter of of God's providence and man's sin and the world's brokenness particularly troubles us. Where things sometimes seem so out of control and where, where such wicked things happen in this world and where there is so much brokenness, there is God still. God isn't gone. He is there accomplishing somehow, wondrously, mysteriously, but He is there accomplishing through it and in it His purpose for the salvation of His people for our good. Now, this is not an excuse for wickedness. It's not an excuse for brokenness and evil. No one can say, well, well, since God is always busy making something good out of my sin, He always does. Isn't that nice? Maybe, Maybe if we sin the more, God can do more of His thing that He does so well. Believers don't think or speak That way. But this is still comfort for the believers in Christ in the midst of sin and its great misery. God is working for our salvation all the time, in everything, in every place, in every circumstance. And this is something we see in Scripture most wondrously in the Passion narrative, in the revelation of God's Word concerning the suffering of His Son, our Lord. And so, Mark chapter 15 and the text. We want to keep in mind the two questions. What is what is going on? And the second question, what is what is really going on? And as we look at what is happening on the surface, the things that we see happening... There are some questions that we can can ask as we look at what the Word of God says. The first question we want to ask is, who is in charge? It's Pilate's courtroom, Pontius Pilate, the Roman governor. It's his courtroom. And the question is, who is in charge in his courtroom? Is it Pilate? That would be the obvious answer, Pilate. The Roman governor, his court, he's in charge. But is he? Is he? Does he have control of this case? Does he have control of his court? Does he have control of the outcome? See, there's also the crowd. There's also the crowd to whom Pontius Pilate seems to defer the crowd whom he wants to satisfy more than he wants to satisfy justice. But besides the crowd, there's also the chief priests, the chief priests who who are sort of pulling the strings on the crowd. The chief priests in charge of the crowd. So it's a good question who is in charge? At this crucial moment, when Jesus turns from being accused, to being condemned to death, it's actually quite difficult to tell who's in charge. Everyone sort of wants to be, and everyone is a little bit, but nobody fully is. The chief priests want to do their thing with Jesus more than anything else, but they need the crowd. And they need Pontius Pilate to do what they want. The crowd wants to do its thing. But the crowd is controlled by the chief priests. And the crowd depends on Pilate to do what they want. And Pontius Pilate, he doesn't want to do what he does in the end. But he still does it in the end. He's forced by the crowd who are controlled by the chief priests. Pilate had the ultimate responsibility in his courtroom, but he didn't, he didn't really want the responsibility for all of this at all. We know from elsewhere in scripture that, that Pilate actually washed his hands literally of this whole Jesus business. I am innocent of this man's blood. It is interesting to note that though the whole event is taking place, at least in the text, is taking place in Pilate's courtroom, in the center of the text, the verses we've chosen, verse 10 and again in verse 11, the chief priests play the crucial role. They, they are behind the scenes, but they are not really behind the scenes. They are there pulling the strings. They are, they are actually at the center of Pilate's courtroom so we see we see on in terms of what's going on we see that there's this strange power play going on where no one is really in charge and yet everyone has their hand in jesus condemnation with the chief priests the leaders of god's people central in pilate's court second question we can ask in terms of what's going on is Who is on trial? Who is there in Pilate's court on trial? We would say, well, Jesus is. Jesus is on trial. But we notice that Pontius Pilate, who is the judge, does not call Jesus by name at all. Three times already in verse 2 and then two times in the text, in verse 9 and again verse 12, Pilate does not call Jesus, Jesus. He calls him the King of the Jews. That's the only way that Pilate refers to Jesus, the King of the Jews. And it's a title that runs through the rest of the chapter as well. We we read some of that. Now, when Pontius Pilate, the Roman governor, says that When when he says, King of the Jews to Jesus, we should know that he doesn't mean it at all. He doesn't mean it. If Pilate thought Jesus really was the King of the Jews, Pilate would have had no doubts about condemning and crucifying Jesus. He had to. Any would-be, self-made King of the Jews had to be removed. But when Pilate wants to release Jesus, that's what Pilate wants to do more than anything else. He wants to get rid of Jesus by releasing him. When Pilate wants to release Jesus, whom he calls King of the Jews, then we know. and we know. He calls Jesus King of the Jews only in mockery. Only, actually only in disgust. He doesn't mean it. He has contempt. Contempt. He has contempt for, for the Jews and for Jesus. And by calling Jesus King of the Jews, he's actually rubbing it in the Jews' face. It's kind of like, look, look, Jews, here is your king. Of course, when Pilate keeps calling Jesus the King of the Jews, It has the effect of agitating the chief priests and the crowd more and more. Because Pilate calls Jesus king of the Jews, the Jews are more sure than ever that they want Jesus gone. Preferably humiliated, crucified. The Jews are also disgusted with Jesus, whom Pilate mockingly calls the king of the Jews. So you see how this title, King of the Jews, how it it works in Pilate's court. No one believes it. Not Pilate, not the chief priests, not the crowd. It's it's only in Pilate's court, it's only a a title of disgust for, for Pilate, for the Jews alike. This title for Jesus causes the whole thing to escalate to crucifixion. This mock title from Pilate is intended to make such a sorry picture of Jesus that Pilate can just hand him over, hand him back to the Jews. But this mock title from Pilate's mouth has the effect of making the Jews want nothing more than that Pilate and his Roman court finish Jesus off very quickly. Pilate doesn't want this Jesus nor do the Jews. So altogether it becomes a a rather pathetic, sorry and wicked event with Jesus in Pilate's courtroom. No one is really in charge, though everybody is a little bit. And there is Jesus called King of the Jews for sport with whom everyone is equally disgusted. Jesus, whom everyone is quite sure, is certainly not the king of the Jews. There is another factor to bring in yet, in terms of what's going on. There is Barabbas waiting in the wings, and there is the custom at the feast now, Barabbas is not an active player in this scene. He is waiting for his his own execution, likely by crucifixion. That's what happens to murdering insurrectionists, those who stand up to Rome with violence and bloodshed. They, they would be crucified. So There's this criminal, Barabbas, a Jewish prisoner of Rome. And there is, there is a Passover custom, that's the feast. At Passover, the Jews could get one prisoner back from Rome, the one whom they requested. Kind of like a one-person amnesty, a symbolic gesture to go with Passover, to go with this feast. Remember, Passover is the feast of celebrating the release of the Jews, the whole nation, from Egyptian imprisonment, Egyptian bondage. So this custom of Pilate in Jerusalem at Passover allowed a a, a reenactment of sorts. And for, for Pilate, the Roman governor, this would be slight political gain, to give the people something that, They would, they would look forward to from Rome. But probably there would also be mockery, mockery involved. A one person amnesty. It's just another cruel reminder, really. Rome has the keys to this land. And this just proves it. The Jews were not really free though they could come begging at Passover time for, for one prisoner. Now, as Pilate sees the crowd coming to make their request, Pilate sees an opportunity to get Jesus off his hands. That's what Pilate wants to do more than anything else. The Jewish leaders have something else in mind, someone else. They will have Barabbas. So circumstances, Pilate's intention to release Jesus and the Jewish intentions to have Barabbas, circumstances bring about the result that this this thing with Barabbas and Jesus comes off as an exchange. It's actually a conflict about whom to release. But the end result is that it's an exchange. It's an exchange. Pilate wanted to release Jesus. The Jews wanted Barabbas. And the chief priest said so. And the crowd insisted. And then Pilate says, well, what about Jesus, king of the Jews? He doesn't call him Jesus. What about your king of the Jews? And then the crowd insists that Jesus be crucified, which is the punishment Barabbas would have received. But notice the result. It comes off as an exchange. Barabbas for Jesus, Jesus for Barabbas. Which is how verse 15 reads, Pilate released Barabbas to them and handed Jesus over to be crucified. Now for those involved in all of this, this is just really another day in Pilate's courtroom in Jerusalem at Passover. We have looked on the surface level at three questions, three questions. Who is in charge? Who is on trial? And what about Barabbas? And having looked at this event through those questions, we would have to say on the surface, answering the question, what's going on here? We'd have to say the picture is, is really, really pathetic. It's the sort of thing where you say, can this be happening? Can this be happening? It's almost painful to watch Pilate's courtroom in in proceedings. This, this court of men is a disaster, even on the human level. You look at all of this and you say, well, how seriously can these people really take themselves In what they are supposed to be doing. And yet you look at it and you say everybody is really quite serious. And very intense. They all take themselves very seriously. Pilate, the Jews, the chief priests. Everyone involved is really intensely busy trying to get something for themselves. And they twist and they turn and they manipulate. And they take opportunity. Justice is thrown to the wind. Quite obvious, you would think, to everyone. No one is really able to do anything without anyone else's help. And there is Jesus. Jesus, a sorry picture, a so-called king of the Jews, but hardly a threat. He ought to be released, obviously, to anyone. Obviously. But Jesus doesn't have a say. And there is Barabbas, also a a sorry picture, but in, in another way, who ought to stay locked up. Obviously. And he doesn't have a say. Jesus and Barabbas are just pawns. Pawns in the schemes of those who are trying to control and manipulate each other for their own gain. It's a mockery of justice. It's a mockery of authority. It's a mockery of Passover. It's a mockery of freedom. It's a mockery of innocence and a mockery of guilt. It's all there mixed together. We would, we would say, even on the surface level, it's truly a fool's court in a fool's empire in a fool's world. Jesus is crucified, Barabbas is released, and Pilate, the impression is Pilate, the one really in charge, he can't really help it. But now the second big question, what's really going on in all of this? What's really going on first, for those with eyes to see, what's really going on is that sin and sinners, we, our nature, is on full display in Pilate's court, in this court of fools. Sin is on display without shame. Sin and sinners who take themselves so seriously, sinners displayed as utterly wicked and utterly foolish in all their wickedness and and no shame for all that. This is is what sin looks like when it's all piled up at the center of history, at the cross of Jesus Christ. It, it, It is so pathetic and And so inexcusable, at the same time, our our scheming, our contriving, our manipulating sin, our self-serving, all on display. And there is the sense sinners can't help themselves in their foolishness. And yet, at the same time, they are entirely blameworthy, culpable. It's not like no one had a way out. Have a look at Pilate's court and we see ourselves. We wonder when we when we read this from a bit of a distance, we say how how can this ever be the stuff that world empires are made of? And yet this is exactly this is exactly what world empires are made of still today. We don't have to look so very far. It is. The world of sinners is a fool's world and very wicked. And it's our world. And it's our wickedness. Thank God that's not all that's really going on in Pilate's court. It is a crucial moment The moment where Jesus turns from accused to being condemned to death. The the whole crucifixion of Jesus turns on this event. It's, It's important. So what's really going on in Pilate's court? Look again from the perspective of the three questions. Who is in charge? Jesus, the King of the Jews. He is in charge. He is on the way where he has to be by God's decree for us. Jesus is in charge. Who is on trial? Jesus is on trial. The condemned king of the Jews. The one at the head of the people who must be there under judgment for the people as their king. What about Barabbas and the feast? It is the great exchange, the great exchange, the one for the other, the innocent for the insurrectionist. It's the great exchange that sets sinners free. See what's going on and what's really going on. Do we see it? Do we really see what we are looking at? Jesus, the King of Israel, the Son of God, is working in control He is opening up the way for salvation for sinners. The king of the Jews is in charge. The king of the Jews is also on trial. The king of the Jews goes in the place of the rebel. And so the king of the Jews fulfills Passover. The king of the Jews wins our freedom. Through his shed blood, the king of the Jews gains the kingdom by his death in our place. He does it in this court of fools through God's wise plan and work. And there is no one who did not have a hand in it. Rome and Jerusalem. Rome and Jerusalem conspired together. The king of the Jews, disgusting to Rome and Jerusalem, to us, we esteemed him not. He went alone for all. There was no one in that court of fools who had the sense to say, but but wait a minute, What what are we doing? No, the king went all alone, but it had to be for the salvation of the world, Rome and Jerusalem, for the salvation of fools, for the salvation of sinners, for the salvation of us, rebels against God. And so God's wisdom and purpose trumps everything in Pilate's court, through Pilate's court. What was going on? Well, sinners are vying for self-serving power, self-preservation, playing with other people's lives and perverting justice as sinners will always do. That's what was going on. What was really going on? God in Christ, the King of the Jews, powerfully and wisely and graciously giving himself a gift to us sinners in this great exchange in Pilate's courtroom. God in Christ, the King of the Jews, powerfully and wisely and graciously obtaining life for us sinners in the great exchange Delivering us, sinners, from the judgment of God in the great exchange. The righteous for the unrighteous. That in him we may become the righteousness of God. See what's going on. Perceive what's really going on. And worship the Lamb who was slain and now lives. Amen. This has been a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.langleycanrc.org.